Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. We're coming to you from our studios at the Coming Home Network International. This is deepinscripture.com. And what we've been doing for uh, this season is focusing on what we're calling hard scriptures. And uh, we'd love for you to go to deepinscripture.com to listen to some of the old programs, maybe get an explanation of, of the... Uh, of the direction of this particular program. You can also find out more about our work at chnetwork.org or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, this week, I am excited to have a, an old friend. It's not old, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, but we just go back a long ways. Uh, Kimberly Hahn, Kimberly and Scott uh, were in the same school that I was many years ago uh, at seminary. And as I've mentioned often, Kimberly and Scott were A students. I was a basketball player. Uh, but it's it's good to have you on the program, uh, Kimberly. Hello. Thank you. Wonderful to be good. here. Just wanted to make sure that we're connecting over the, you know, this, this goofy signal. You're in Steubenville. I'm over here in, near Zanesville. But the signal goes all the way to the moon and around a couple planets and finally goes back <laughs> down to you. So there we are. But I... I'm so grateful that you would join us on the program to talk about hard scriptures. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. I when I invited you to join me, you very quickly thought about Romans 12, 1 and 2 and, and a particular issue that was key to your journey, right? Right. And what I'd... Uh, well, again, if some of you listening are not familiar with Kimberly Hahn, uh, Kimberly, what website should I tell them to go to if they want to find out more about you and your work? Probably scotthahn.com. Uh, he has all of my resources on there as well as his. So okay. that would probably be the best one to, Very good. to look at. Scotthahn.com. And Kimberly, you've got a number of books. And, and in fact, you've got your, mm -hmm. your multiple book on Proverbs 31, right? 31. Yes, on, right. On, on an excellent book on on uh, being a, a wife and uh, I've read it and uh, I'm doing the best job I can at helping my wife be a saint. That's my goal. And I hope she puts in a good word for me when she gets there. So um, Kimberly's chosen Romans 12, one and two. And this is a, a, to quote Mother Angelica, an awesome verse. It has so much that's there, but as we want to talk about, there's a potential of of many, many interpretations, applications. And the danger is, especially when we take a verse like this and and leave it up to ourselves to interpret that we might compromise on the very things that Paul is trying to tell us to yes. do. Right. Yes. That's right. That's right. There's a, so let me let, let me read it, Kimberly. Then I'll pass it to you, and you, and you get us started. All right. In the in, I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version, uh, Romans 12, 1 and two. Paul writes, "I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed." by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes. 
this scripture initially in my life sort of confirmed the direction that I had gone. I, I was raised in a, in a pastor's home. My parents loved the Lord dearly. They're both still living. And when I was really ready to make a deeper level of conversion uh, at the age of 12, it was their call in part and then also the work of our church to just say it's time now to mature in your faith and to say, I don't believe simply because my parents believe. I actually believe this. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life and I want him to be my Lord. So when I read Romans 12, uh, 2, spoke to my heart at the time was, by the grace of God, and, and Paul does appeal to the mercies of God, the grace of God, that just as Christ had given everything to me, I was to give everything back to him, that I was to entrust all of my being, all of my talents, my time, my treasure, was to be committed to him. And the way that I could live that out, understanding his will, leads into verse two, which is I needed to understand that even in a Christian home, I still lived in the world and I needed understanding about how I was influenced in some ways, subtle ways to not understand truth. So I needed to have ongoing transformation of my mind and then conforming my will to what truth at, you know, I, I completed junior high and high school, grew a lot in my faith, went to college, Grove City College, and was really challenged by this young guy, Scott Hahn, to get involved in Young Life. And, and you know, when you go to a Christian college, you can often float. You know, you're, you can tell you're in a pretty comfortable atmosphere, people not really challenging each other. And so when Scott challenged me to join Young Life staff and, and serve at Grove City High School, I knew that would be really good. It would be something that drove me to my knees and, and really had me seek the Lord. And uh, Scott did that too. Right. <laughs> and uh, drove me to my knees and made me seek the Lord. And by the time we graduated from college, I had fallen head over heels in love with him and likewise. And so we went off to seminary at Gordon-Conwell Married. Um, and it was in my work, my pro-life work, um, that I think we were involved in together. Um, and to bump us having to do with contraception. And I would try to say to people, oh, you know, you need to clearly separate these issues. We're talking about children who are already conceived, not about whether or not you conceive children. What I found as people gently taught me things was that the pill, a certain percentage of the time, has two actions. One of them is to suppress ovulation, but about 5% of the time it doesn't. And then the other aspect of the pill kicks in, which is um, making the environment uninhabitable for a baby. And so a baby cannot continue to live. A baby dies. Mm. Then the IUD often was abortive. So I realized it wasn't as simple and cut and dried as, you know, saying yes to contraception or no. And um, at Gordon-Conwell, I was able to take a Christian ethics class in which we could pick some topic and this was for me and I thought oh okay let's let's do two things I, I need to do the research for my own peace of mind but I also need course credit so let's let's do this together and there were seven of us that actually chose this particular issue 
when we met in the back of the room, one man sort of appointed himself, I guess, the, the chairman of the group, and he said, well, I don't see any Catholics here. So hopefully we all agree that contraception's fine. It's just what kinds. Hopefully we're all pro-life. So that would rule out, uh, you know, any abortifacient methods. And so otherwise I think contraception's fine. You know, well, we hadn't cracked a book. We hadn't talked to a soul. And I, I was intrigued. I said, you know, why, why do you look around and say there are no Catholics here? What difference does that make? He said, well, Catholics are against contraception. And that was news to me. I knew many Catholics at my high school and neighbors and coworkers. No one had ever mentioned that uh, to me. Hey, Kimberly, let me ask you a question. Do you, when you look back then, as this, uh, this uh, issue is being awakened to you, mm -hmm. at that time, were you aware that previously the majority of Christians had been against contraception? No. Not until I did my research after this conversation. Right. Uh, 1930, there was total agreement within all branches, branches of Christendom up to 1930 uh, on this issue. And, um, and when the man said the two reasons that Catholics supported uh, or opposed contraception, I guess, supported anti-contraception, he said there are only two reasons. One, the Pope isn't married. And number two, Catholics are just out to make all the Catholics they can in the world. And so I said, I can't imagine a Catholic giving those reasons. And he said, if you want to find out what they think, fine, but I couldn't care less. And so I took up that challenge. And that's when I began to find out Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, I mean, they had strong statements against contraception. And they were Bible men. So how did all this fit? I mean, to me... When we were prepared for marriage, we were only asked what kind of contraception we were going to use. Yeah. It absolutely was not part of the conversation. And yet, when I discovered all Protestants agreed completely until 1930, and that only a, a very liberal branch of Anglican churches in England allowed it only in the case that it would be otherwise total abstaining for the rest of their lives out of fear of the woman's death, that was the thin edge of the wedge that now on this side of things was we could see most denominations even sanctioning abortion. So I had to research this. I had to look into this. And this scripture was one of the most challenging wow. because I loved taking the Lordship of Jesus Christ seriously. I thought in those terms that he had total rights to my mind, to my talents, to my body. And yet I didn't realize that I was doing this move that was an American move of, you know, keep your hands off my private parts. You know, you're not going to tell me what to do. And I thought, where does that fit? We're telling Jesus, you can be Lord of every aspect of my life, but not my fertility. And when you think about it, you think about what is involved with a child, the time and the talents and the money that it takes to raise that child. I was cordoning off an enormous area saying, God, stay out. And, and I realized Scott and I wanted children in a theoretical sense, but we had never prayed about whether we were supposed to delay. We'd not, we'd not thought to even, even include God in that in that whole discussion. 
So as I looked at scripture and I began to look at passage after passage that spoke about the treasure that a child is, you could I couldn't find a single negative verse about a child. And then I began to examine okay, what is this act of marriage all about? And I realize in many ways that's that's sort of a conversation for another time because it gets us more into philosophical arguments than scriptural arguments. Right. But I would just say this, that, that in the act of marriage, God permits us to be co-creators with him of new life. And as I came back to this, this passage, what I began to be really challenged on was Again, it's by the mercy of God. This is not coming to couples and rule setting and, and, and saying, you know, you just have to crank out every baby you can have. That's not the point. But the point is by the mercy of God, I am to yield everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that I am to withhold from him and to say, I'm going to make my own decisions when it comes to this or that. And this is an act of spiritual worship. And I thought, you know, now that I've had a number of pregnancies, nine of them, and six of these children that I've been able to raise, um, I look at the act of saying I'm open to life and then how much sacrifice is not planned. You know, the nausea, the up in the middle of the night, the stretch marks. I've had C-sections up and down. I've had C-sections side to side. I mean, it's it's been hard. But that is still a spiritual act of worship. As I give my body to the Lord and to my spouse, and then I have this unrepeatable gift of this individual child, whether or not I even get to have him or her and hold him or her. Um, and it gets back to verse two, to not be conformed to this world, even not being conformed to the Christian populace of this world. My parents think it's unthinkable that I would challenge the idea about whether or not contraception is of God. It's unthinkable. They can't even have a, have a conversation about it because it's so absurd to them. But what was it, 80 years ago, not 85 years ago, it wouldn't have been an absurd conversation at all. Right. And, you know, here are my brothers who are ministers who, who do not um, talk to their people about this as an issue. And I would say this is not a Catholic issue. This is a Christian mm-hmm. issue. The God who gave us our bodies, gave us our sexuality, gave us the gift of that spouse— we are to give all back to him. It's all for Jesus, as Blessed Mother Teresa says, all for Jesus. And then he can be trusted to not only give us the children at the correct time, but all the resources, the emotional, the physical, the psychological, the spiritual, to then be a faithful steward over that life. Let me, it's wonderful, Kimberly. But, <laughs> Sorry, no. I let you jump in. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, it's kind of hard. It's it's kind of hard with the internet and the delay. But let me let me just add a few things, just yeah. because everything you've said is right on. And but what I want also with the audience to see is that you are being led by grace to recognize that this powerful verse in itself 
did not necessarily give you the guidance you needed to deal with this very important issue that deals with the world or or the age. I mean, that that's the term there. It reminds me, it's almost in my mind as if Paul was reflecting in the background on what was always my favorite scripture, which was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because which again says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what's behind this thing. So if you're going to give yourself totally to him, as you were talking about, which is presenting your whole body, your whole being as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. The, the question is, can we, if we're not to lean on our own understanding, if we're to not be conformed to this world, but be metamorphized, transformed by the renewal of our mind, to what extent are we blind to the way our consciences have been formed by the culture in which we've been born and raised and shaped. And we, oh, can, yeah. we can be so convicted that we are following Christ fully, but yet blind to the, the lenses through which we're seeing it. And another example, there was, I won't mention their names, but there was a wonderful couple at seminary that you and I both knew. Um, and when I knew them at seminary, they were practicing natural family planning diligently and but they were doing it specifically to avoid having children because they were rejecting the drugs yeah but they were not rejecting the philosophy the understanding and to this day now all these years later i've lost track of them uh but i do know that they never had children because they missed their window of opportunity And that's the danger is that we think we know what's right for us, even when we're surrendered to Jesus Christ, but we can be wrong because we're looking at scripture through our own lenses. And so much of what the world would say, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't have more than one child in a bedroom or you've got to know you've got enough money for their college education that ought to influence you or, um, if you just had a miscarriage, you don't need to be vulnerable to the, another loss or whatever. We have to take these words of wisdom then to the truth and make sure that they really are true. They can sound true, but they may not be true. Um, and sometimes the healing of a loss comes as you hold the flesh of another one of your children. Sometimes people make decisions about college They don't know if that child's going to go to college, that that child's not smart enough to get a scholarship. That, you know, I mean, they're just, there's so many unknowns and and we have to make the important decisions based on what we have, the knowledge we have, but also faith in God. And his mercy knows no bounds. It knows no bounds. And um, so I, I really hope that more of our brothers and sisters in Christ will really wrestle with this deep in their hearts, because I believe this is truth we need to live. Um, The end of this paragraph, verse two, directly addresses something that Kimberly, you and I as evangelicals would have always been asking. 
God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? I mean, when I was a pastor right. for 10 years, that was by far the most common question I received from every teenager who wanted to follow Jesus. What's the will? Right. And it says that all that came before, verse 1 and then verse 2, is so that we might prove, we might know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, or another way of of interpreting that, reading it, translating it, is that we might prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And so yes. if, if we don't recognize the lenses through which we interpret Scripture, because they're shaped by our culture or even our theological tradition, then the, the, what he's saying what, what's, is that it's hard for us to hear God's will for our lives. Yes, yes. And in these important issues of marriage and children, and it's, it even amazes me to a certain extent that you were pro-life. Right. Because there's nothing in Scripture right. that, that even speaks directly against abortion or against contraception. If you're going to use your own lenses to decide, well, I don't want to have kids unless I want to have them. Well, then it's not very far from that to deciding that a medical procedure for abortion is just as valid as contraception. Yeah, yeah, they are really linked. And, and it is something that maybe some of the hearers today are, are going to need to look at more closely. Um, I'm glad they're pro-life if they're pro-life, but they really need to examine this um, and take it to heart because it, it is interrelated. And the denominations that are pro-abortion, even if they say it's a sad choice, but they, they sanction it, if you follow it back, it, it's all connected with cheapening life and changing how you view the marriage bed and the intimacy that God desires to meet with us. He desires to bring new life. This is yeah. such a joy and a blessing. And we need and we need to, to rethink how we approach children. You know, do we see them as this gift, pure gift from the Heavenly Father? And he knows our spiritual journey. He knows what we need to grow in. And so the gift of that child is going to challenge us uh, to grow in all kinds of ways. And if we keep it nice and anesthetic and controlled, and I just have what I can manage here, we're going to miss some of the greatest gifts God has for us. This morning, I was reading for devotions. I've been reading for a long time, probably for the fifth or sixth time through a book that's commonly loved by Christians worldwide, and that's a Kempis's imitation of Christ. And and I wish I had it in front of me because this morning in chapter book four, chapter fifteen, he talks about God can only fill an empty vessel, and it talks about to the extent that we detach ourselves from the world and ourselves, He's able to fill us with grace. And it, it, that's not that's my post 60 memory. But, um, but that reminds me of this, you know, this, this not being not conformed to the world is also about being, being detached. It's about simplicity. It's about not being attached to self and our whole mind and heart and being, being transformed. Who's going to transform it? How is it transform? Of course, it's grace. And this, this desire of how do we, how do we by grace, detach ourselves from ourselves 
in our priorities and what we think is right and what we want to do and, and how do I, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to be there. I remember my son, John Mark, is in the control room over there, said one time years ago, Dad, I want to do what you're doing. By then I'm doing television and radio and all that. How do I get there? And I say, well, you start by being an engineer. <laughs> I mean, there's no direct connect. God's plans are different than ours, just as it was for you and, and Scott. You know, we just, we never thought we'd be what we're doing now. But right. maybe to bring this thing then right around, Kimberly, is how has the rule of faith, the teacher that our Lord gave us, through which he gave us the scriptures, how does the rule of faith help us understand Romans 12, 1 and 2, so we apply it correctly to our life? The Catholic rule of faith, we understand the church, the boundaries it sets for us to understand these difficult issues that you're talking about. Well, sir, I, for me, one of the keys is looking at what the church's teaching is and has been, and you look at how many centuries, you look at how many cultures and different time periods, and yet the teaching has not changed. When you read uh, Pope Paul VI on human life, it's only about an 11-page document, very quick reading. When he came out with it, some people said, oh, he's extreme. He's saying it's going to lead to abuse of women. It's going to lead to divorce. It's going to lead to contraception, uh, I mean, abortion-related contraception, yeah. and then abortion itself and sterilization. Now we look back on that and we say it was so prophetic. So not only does the perennial church show us the truth, in, in all times and cultures, but also the dangers of what will happen. Um, the beautiful thing is it is retrievable from the standpoint of individual couples saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him literally everything. I want him to be the Lord of all of our life and of our marriage. The example they will set is so crucial for their children, for the other couples around them. And then giving us all hope that we're build a life instead of a culture of death. We can help have some of that positive peer pressure toward the right. Um, I, I do think one aspect of this, which is always a challenge, is the idea that we're a living sacrifice. Yeah. Because as one of my dear friends said, if we were dead, we would just lay there and it wouldn't hurt. But being a living <laughs> sacrifice means that that you are actually choosing to be up on that altar. And when it gets painful, you may want to crawl off. Um, to say this is, is beautiful teaching and that a child is a gift is all true, but we may walk through some very tough waters. You know, we may walk through some very difficult situations. But there again is the grace of God. He doesn't give us his will and abandon us. He enables us to walk through these difficult things. And, and he will be with us. He will produce what is good and right and holy within us. And, and that's a beautiful promise. Yeah, just a couple chapters earlier, the Apostle Paul says, says, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. Yeah. With him in order There's that we may no be. <laughs> I mean, there just isn't a, there isn't a way around it. We, we go through that. Yes. Yes. That's right. And yeah. the other thing about when I think about the rule of faith and I, in other words, our, the body of Christ 
into which we were accepted through baptism and faith in Christ. And now we're brothers and sisters and with a loving father and our living sacrifice is like a, a son and a daughter that has such a loving father. We willingly give it all to him. That's what we are in the body of Christ. But a part of the things we learn in that is that no one has a right to take somebody else's life. We have only the right to give life mm -hmm. and it's for others. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what impinges on the issues of abortion, euthanasia, contraception. And as you said, when that, when that crack in the door was made back in the 1930s, even though the Holy Father then projected what he anticipated, he never anticipated as far as we've gone with same-sex marriage and just the marriage and everything is just up for grabs. It's just crazy because even Christians blindly have conformed to what the world wants and are sadly even supporting leaders for president who are conforming to the world, uh, champion the world. We, and we're called to suffer. We're called to accept. And as, as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, we have a big responsibility for our children and the world we hand over to them. And, uh, and that's what this verse is all about, Kimberly. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. And I'm going to ask everyone who's listening to pray for Kimberly. She's now a, a councilwoman in Steubenville, Ohio, and fighting the battle. Um, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. And you have definitely gone in the world by accepting that mantle. So thank you for doing that, Kimberly. Yes. And thank you for everything else yeah, you did against. It's a great joy. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Again, that's scotthawn.com if you want to find out more about Kimberly and connect with her. We'd love to hear your comments. And any questions or comments you send to deepinscripture.com, I'll pass along to Kimberly. So, Kimberly, thank you. Great. Thank you. God bless you. Okay. You too, Kimberly. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kimberly. Again, go to scotthawn.com if you'd like to uh, pass along comments or questions. Or go, go to chnetwork.org if you want to find about all the other things we do here. Thank you. God bless. See you again next week.